Welcome to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. On this episode, we have guest Don Overcash. Uh, we're going to be talking about a keynote that he's done called Salt and Light. So you're all going to enjoy this amazing podcast discussion that I had with Don. To tell you a little bit about Don before we go into the podcast interview, uh, Don started his professional career in the pharmaceutical industry. And from then, he went on to uh, building businesses and leading organizations, both in the public and private sectors. Uh, And then he joined Sandler Training as an authorized trainer and coach. Recently, he retired from Sandler Training, and now he manages his own uh, management consulting firm with a focus in serving nonprofit organizations. Don Overcash is also on the Loveland City Council and has been since November 2015. And he is currently um, the mayor pro tem uh, since 2017, being elected three times for that role. And so I love Don's perspectives from not only from a business perspective, but a coaching perspective, and also from his experience in politics. So you're going to enjoy this amazing podcast and really hope that you enjoy this interview. Well, Don, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. And, and thank you for honestly just being a great friend and, and great mentor. Brian. Well, great. Thank you. I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah. So uh, our topic today, we're going to talk about uh, why are you so salty? So I know you've done this this uh, talk before a few times, and I really like this topic. And I thought it was very relevant for uh, this podcast well, it started uh, one day when I was reading and doing my devotions. I was reading Matthew 28. <clears throat> it was after the resurrection that Jesus provided what might have been his final instructions to, uh, to his disciples. And uh, I'll paraphrase it for us this morning. But <clears throat> I think the first thing he said is, go out and tell only your closest friends about me. And because remember, I don't need much room in heaven for everyone. So be careful because you don't want difficult neighbors. And oh, by the way, lay low and watch what you say. You want to blend in with the people that you live with. That way you can live a long and happy life and prosper. And remember, you're number one and it is all about you. So grab all the fun you can have as you only live for a short time. Now, obviously that's a different version than most of us read, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the way that many of us who are disciples of Christ actually live. We go about our lives in a manner that is not about making disciples. Mm. We go about our lives many times as saying we're a disciple, but we haven't really embraced uh, what discipleship means, you know, which starts with obedience, mm. obedience to Christ. So <clears throat> you're probably wondering where I came up with the, why are you so salty? Yeah. Well, you know, we read in Matthew 5, uh, you are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? <clears throat> it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Think about that. He says, you are salt. He didn't say consider being salt. He says, you are salt. And if it's no longer salty, 
It's good for nothing. Throw it out. And then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. But I think the challenge is, have you ever really thought what salty means? Salty is, it, salty comes with a negative term, meaning uh, this person is salty or this, this person just, it, it comes with a negative connotation. Yeah, very yeah. different than the connotation that was used back before we had refrigeration and freezers right. and right. because it was the only preserv preservative that was really a, a available. Mm -hmm. So believers also see it as a term, you know, as a preservative, but in today's society, it has this upset or better feelings towards someone. Yeah. Uh, you're too salty or it's too salty. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's bitter. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and, you know, they, while, the, while the world around us likes a little salt and light, but when is it too much? Mm -hmm. And, but Jesus is saying not to consider being salt and light. He says, you are salt and light. We are to be that preservative. We are to be that truth that's, mm -hmm. in, that's in the world. And when one thinks about <clears throat> where things stand today, we, we say, boy, it's, it's sliding fast, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Every day in the newspaper, uh, you, you pick up the, you open up the internet, go to your favorite page, and things are certainly not getting better. Yeah. It's like there's no control. It just seems the world is spinning completely out of control. So, but for Christ followers, the, uh, he uses salt and light as a contrast, a, a many contrasts that he uses within the Beatitudes. And I think it's important for us to have a, a good understanding of this metaphor, salt and light. And uh, if we are to bring their influence for good into the world today. And I think that's something we've really missed and we're not thinking about consciously. How can I make an impact in today's world by being salt and light mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus? How do we do that? I'm, I'm curious. Um, this is, uh, you know, I think I've, I've heard you talk about this topic and uh, you've, you've, you're very passionate about this topic on why are you so salty? I'm, I'm curious what prompted you to to develop this out? You know, it's so easy to be uh, against things mm -hmm. rather than for things. It seems to be human nature if True. you look at the world around us. Yeah. Um, and I think when we, when we contemplate being a disciple, what that really means, if we're not making an impact, we are making an impact. True. But we're making a negative impact. And I read something by C.S. Lewis, oh, probably back in the late 70s. And the book was written much earlier than that called The Weight of Glory. Mm -hmm. And I'll paraphrase it, and I'll do a horrible job of paraphrasing it, but mm -hmm. the takeaway that's been with me ever since that time period was probably 1976 that I read that. <clears throat> and... He talks about, we're having an impact on immortal, eternal beings. Think about that. Mm -hmm. 
humans. We're immortal. We're eternal. We're we're not just a, a codfish or a pet a pet dog. I mean, we're very special created in God's image. And when we interface each and every day with people, we can either be light and salt and providing positive impact in their lives and drawing them closer to a knowledge and obedience of Jesus Christ, or we could have a negative impact and really be pushing them. This visual is powerful. Pushing them over the abyss into an eternal hell. Mm. So how do we interface with people each and every day? Jesus, as I mentioned, didn't say, consider being salt and light. He says, you are salt and light. So when people say, what's, what's God's will for my life? Well, first, <laughs> obedience is a good place to start. And, and, and meaning the impact that we can have on other people. So I would like to be pure salt and pure light. And, and go about that and, uh, and be that kind of an impact, be that faithful servant mm -hmm. uh, by, by doing that. But it's hard though. I mean, we think about the people, I mean, you've probably been, uh, somebody, you spoke the truth and you got pounded for it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, I like to, what I like to think of, so we're gonna answer that question, why are you so salty? Mm -hmm. First thing is, be saying, well, who said that? Mm -hmm. Who said that? Because I think we're we're talking to three different audiences each and every day. And uh, one of the audiences that I think of, and I, I define them as the lost, uh, the confused, and the found. And they're tough audiences. All three of them have uh, uh, different ways of responding to salt and light. Yeah, that's very interesting how you broke that down into three different audiences, the lost, the confused, and the found. So tell us a little bit about how you define the loss. Yeah. Um, well, the lost reject the truth is evidenced by their wickedness. And you wonder, how could people do that? How could they be like that? Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, I, I like to read uh, a lot of his works and in one of his uh, publications, he talks about the loss as being toxic. Mm -hmm. They're intentionally wicked. They thrive in their wickedness. Um, they say there is no God. And they're proud of that. And they reject, they, they don't just not understand the word, they reject it. They're enemies of the gospel, mm -hmm. as one might say. They declared themselves, like Nitschke, uh, that God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. And having declared themselves as enemies of God, God has given them over, and the world is really a very dark place. By the way, Nitschke died insane. Mm. Uh, but God's still alive. God mm. was never dead. Oftentimes, have you encountered people that call evil good mm -hmm. and good evil? Yeah, yeah. So when, when, when we're interfacing with people like that, um, it, it's baffling. How could they possibly call that good? Such as, say, a pitiophile. And they say, well, it's just their choice. Mm -hmm. 
But how could we call evil good? And then those that do good, they call as evil. I mean, it, it's it's mind-boggling, but that's, that's where these people come from. Uh, they not only reject the knowledge of God, they reject the moral knowledge that comes from God as well, from the Creator. When they're confronted with truth, they react the way vampires react to light. Mm -hmm. We remember the Obella Lucas movies and, mm -hmm. you know, Count Dracula, and they, they shun it. Um, I used to uh, live in an area where I used to go fishing a lot in, in the Midwest, and we'd look for leeches, and we'd, we'd try to trap them because they were good bait. But if one stuck on you, they were really hard to get off. And there was a trick that my grandpa showed. He'd pour a little salt on a leech and it would immediately let go and want to get away from that salt. And that's what these people are like. They reject the light of the gospel and they reject the, the truth uh, that's in the salt. Mm -hmm. And they avoid it. And, they, uh, and I think what's really frustrating is they try to eradicate its very presence. It's just that they can't let it just be. No, they want to get rid of it. And you think of some situations that we've been in like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I read uh, some people say, can you illustrate that for me? And I say, well, go to Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's and you wonder, why are these people so filled with hate? Yeah. And... And they just unload and they go on these rants and these strings of, of pulse and they're really just trying to eradicate that person that they're attacking. And they're looking for any opportunity where someone might make a mistake or fall short, uh, especially in the, in, a pub, in the public eye. They are the ones that are going to be quick to make a comment or... Um, just bring you down and there I see that so often nowadays is like the people even like some of people that you think that are so close to you your best buddies or something um they're more like I mentioned earlier before we were recording they just want to take 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 and they might be your supporter but in the back end they're thinking about that first moment to just point out a mistake or shortfall at any given time, and they'll just blow up in your face. Yeah, this is where the cancel culture comes from. Mm -hmm. I really think, I really believe that. They want to, they just don't want to cancel your thought on that item. They're looking for an opportunity to cancel you mm -hmm. to where you have no value mm -hmm. uh, in their minds. You don't agree with me, you have no value, and I, I toss you out. And that's pretty much how, when you read through some of those pages, how, the, how, the, how they operate. Yeah, and in today's world, doesn't it doesn't take much to get canceled. No, not at all. <laughs> but, but, but I think the largest category, and I hate categorizing, but it's a way of kind of illustrating uh, this reaction of salt and light, uh, is the confused. And I'd like to define that the confused, <clears throat> they lack commitment. And they meaning they believe certain things for various reasons, but the belief is about as deep as well. You know the demons believe and shudder, but they still don't. Mm -hmm. 
welcome God. Um, they lack that commitment for follow through and consistency. Uh, they take what's convenient and blend in. Um, they'll often say, they'll behave and they'll say things like, uh, they'll believe certain things, but they will act to the point of commitment. Let me express that in another way. They'll believe in, say, one should not steal. But they've become very tolerant to the criminal and, and, and the acts. They'll, they don't really want to enforce that law with penalty. So we'll get a, we'll get a, uh, they're good at coming up with excuses of why they, why they won't follow through on that commitment of you shouldn't, you shouldn't hurt another person. Well, yeah, but you got to remember the circumstances. Mm. You know, so they, they, they try to live conflict avoidance. And it's, it's a difficult place to be. But I think what's really driving them uh, and their lack of commitment is their fear of others. They see themselves as being okay. I'm as good as the next guy. Everything will work out fine. Um, they lose, though. They, they say yeah, Jesus is there, but they, they live in a way that doesn't... Well, they don't really believe he's coming back. Mm. They have a form of religion, but there's no power within it. I mean, there's no commitment. There's no follow-through. It hasn't really transformed them. There's no impact difference. And you really can't tell them apart from most people. Mm -hmm. they, they blend in. They're just nicer versions of the lost. They get along by going along. And what's really sad is that they're too comfortable in their religion, their beliefs, they say, to be really comfortable in the world. And they have too much of the world in them to really be comfortable in the presence of biblical truth. They're in between. Mm. What do you call it? The twilight zone? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's very confusing. Um, but when you, when you converse with them a little further, you find out that they um, have a low view of Scripture. It's, it's a book of suggestions. Their theology, uh, or you know, their beliefs uh, around Christ are, are very weak. You might even find them in churches that don't even believe in the resurrection, which makes me wonder what do they believe. Mm -hmm. It's that, that old adage, just a country club without the golf course mm -hmm. uh, added to it. Um, they're more committed. This is where, one of the things I've often noticed. They're more committed to a political party, and they'll get on a bandwagon. They're all in in a political sense, and they'll use their limited view of scripture as justification for their political cause, rather than the truth driving their behavior. Their political cause is driving their understanding of the truth. They kind of got it backwards that way. When, uh, remember Bob Dylan? Yeah. Okay, now I know that's probably pushing a little bit for <laughs> A little you. bit, yeah. Bob Dylan came up with an album in 1979 called Gotta Serve Somebody. 
Mm -hmm. I was in oh, it's Float Train Coming. I'm sorry, it's Float Train Coming. And one of the songs in there was You Gotta Serve Somebody. And and Dylan is not much of a singer uh, by most standards, although he makes mm -hmm. me sound good. Uh, he's a poet and he's great with words, but this is really clear. You gotta serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. And this is the critical belief that they fail to get. The confused fail to get that. They're living in this world as though that's all there is, was visible to the eye, and they miss the invisible, the kingdom of God. They don't see that. They're just dealing pragmatically, trying to get through life with no understanding of where they're heading. So I find that that's rather confused. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the things I had a question on um, that you talked about earlier is, you know, this confused audience that we're talking about. So we talked about the lost, and now we're talking about the confused. They're often worried about others' opinions. Mm -hmm. And how can someone get over that? Because oftentimes, that's half the battle, I feel. These persons are very, they are slow to speak. They just kind of, ride the wave and just kind of um they, and because they're fearful of what other people will say how do people get over that well that, kind of, that brings back um that line that i just mentioned from the uh, by bob dylan you're going to serve somebody it may be the devil or it may be the lord mm. but you're going to serve somebody mm -hmm. you can't have it both ways yeah there's no, you either got faith or you got unbelief mm -hmm. there's no in between yeah there's no neutral ground. Yeah. You got faith, you got unbelief. What the real issue is, is they've been exposed to the to the to Jesus, but they don't really know him. Mm. Not real. It's information. It's story. But that impact that 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 special work where you just you, all of a sudden your eyes are wide open yeah and you see something that you you never saw before and so we're all to that point at some time mm -hmm. right uh, we're searching we're thinking some actively some passively some not at all but they, they lack that 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 knowledge that that life that's given to them that's different than the life they're living when jesus said you must be born again Mm -hmm. and it's by the Spirit. That's what's missing. Yeah. It's just not real. Because when you get to that point, um, prior to that point, um, they will say things like, well, faith is a personal thing. You know, keep it to yourself. Um, it's private. Um, you know, keep yourself, not too much light in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Don't make me uncomfortable. I, I do think that's a big one, though, to, to touch on and expand on. Faith is a personal thing and should be kept private. And I think specifically outside of the church and in more so business and in different uh, secular environments is, you know, faith is often not the topic that people are most open about to talk about. Often it's a, it's a topic of contention. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes, you know, they say it doesn't belong in the workplace or something like that. How, how, can, how can we get over that? And be, what are some ways that you've tried to emulate um, in, in your, I guess, journey of life so far of how to be the light in 
in different secular environments. Okay, that that that's a really good point, and let me get there, and then I'm going to come back and explain how to get there. Okay. If I could. Okay. I think when we're when we're in when we're with people, we know people. We've encountered people who, what they want to pound you on the head mm -hmm. with their knowledge, right? And there, there's no adage. Nobody likes to be told what to do or what to believe. Mm -hmm. Nobody. We resist that as human beings. Mm -hmm. um, if you doubt that, you know, just check with my wife. We've been married 49 years, and I yeah. still don't like to do what I'm told to do, yeah. even though it's in my own best interest, because my wife tells me so, right? Mm -hmm. That's something I've been married to for 49 years. Well. People don't like to be told. Yeah. But they'd like to understand and mm -hmm. learn. So we have to go about being salty in, in a particular way. And I think there's there's four four ways to go about that. First of all, we have to be knowledgeable about truth. And it's um, I, I don't know when we ever know enough. Salespeople always say, I'll go sell when I have more knowledge about the product. Well, you just, I always tell them, you just start. Mm -hmm. You'll figure it out, right? There's no time. So you have to be knowledge about what truth is and, and, and really make sure you understand what biblical truth is referring to. I mean, for people to say there is no resurrection, really? Mm -hmm. Well, then don't claim to be a Christ follower because he's dead. Mm -hmm. If there's a resurrection, I'll follow the man that's alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, but so you have to have the knowledge but we have to communicate it in the right manner like I mentioned nobody likes to be told what to do and how did Jesus communicate with most of his adversaries and even his disciples his friends mm -hmm. what did he frequently do versus making a statement he would ask a question oh yeah that's right right yeah. Yeah. he would ask a question he would engage people in discussion. He would engage them and tell stories and he would connect with them. Mm -hmm. He learned, he knew how to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And you don't connect by telling, you connect by listening and asking. Look at the woman with the well story, how he connected with the Samaritan woman. Yeah. You know, she asked him questions and he came back and, and he, he asked her some questions. and. And she ran away in the, in the Chosen, season one, episode eight. Mm -hmm. I was like, I remember that clearly because uh, I don't know why. It was just such a dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and she accepted the truth of who he was. She found the Messiah and she ran off through the field, mm -hmm. you know, and filled with joy. Because he, he communicated the truth in a manner that she was really listening. And mm -hmm. you watch that scene and it starts out tense and... She's a little in his face, and he just pulls her in. Yeah. Right? And it ended. And when we communicate with people, so we have to think about what type of relationship we have with those people. Mm -hmm. What's that relationship? Is this person uh, lost? Is this person confused? Is this person uh, a believer, someone who's found? Well, the way we, we engage with them is going to be different based upon that relationship. Right. We have with them as well as the relationship they have with the truth. So then you have our own relationship with them. Is that someone I know? Mm -hmm. Is that someone I've never met before? Is it a close friend where you can get right to it? And because they know you, they trust you. Mm -hmm. and that brings up the whole other topic, you know, yeah. trust. 
But, and then lastly, I think when we're communicating with people, especially the confused and the lost, all, matter of fact, even the found, what's up, the fourth point, it's motive. Mm. What is our intention? Is our intention to tear them down in order to build ourselves up? Is our intention to prove them wrong? Or is our intention to empathize with them, to connect with them, and come alongside them, and help them see the situation they're in doesn't have to be permanent. There's another way. Mm-hmm. There's a way out of this mess. Is that our intention? So I think motive is, is real big. Mm-hmm. You know, are we concerned about the other person taking in those other factors? Or are we really concerned about proving something to ourselves? Is it about us? Yeah, and I think that's what's lost in today's society is that connection that you're talking about. Yeah. Because oftentimes we, you know, everyone's busy. You know, you say, oh, how are you doing? They're just busy. But in our day-to-day with the people that we encounter, um, I think many times we forget to connect and it starts with what's our intention, what's our motivation, um, and connecting with people. And oftentimes, you know, removing that distraction is what we call the phone, Mm -hmm. right? The phone, removing that distraction and focusing on connecting, uh, it goes a long way. Yeah. Let's just come back, if we could, to mm-hmm. the last audience, mm-hmm. um, so we can wrap up those three audiences, because I want to really get to an action step that I think I found, even just the last six months, is really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the found, I describe, are becoming. They're disciples, but they're becoming disciples. While they are disciples, they're becoming disciples. It's, it's this word of becoming versus was, or I'm not stuck. I am becoming. And, uh, and Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow. It doesn't sound like this is like a one-hour seminar in and out and done. Mm-hmm. This is a lifelong process. But I think what's important in that is how they think. They know who the way, the truth, and the light is. They know who Jesus is. He says, no one comes to the Father except for me. And their kingdom view is all about Jesus. They understand that God is more concerned with their behavior than what they believe because they are becoming disciples. And their obedience is a sign of that belief. They're not being obedient because they're trying to get somewhere. They're obedient because of who they are becoming, not some destination. Um, and they and, and they, they live a life as though they really do believe Jesus is coming back any given moment. But think about how busy we get. Yeah. We get all wrapped up in our plans when we're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, and we just figure out, take care of it later. These people live with an, with an earnestness of becoming, and each and every day is valuable for them. And they really focus on their behavior. Now that leads me, uh, I'm going to move along a little bit because I know we're taking some time, but they realize, and this is the difference between a works religion trying to earn away and really, um, really getting it. They're called to be different. They realize that being a little bit better 
It's not the goal. Better than better. A little better than the next person. A little better. No, they're called, they realize they're to be different. This is what we refer to as being transformed. They're different people. They're not the same people they were. They've been given a new heart. They've been given a new mind. And that renewing of the mind, we read about that. They realize they're called to be different. And somebody says, so what does that look like? Go to the Beatitudes. These are the characteristics. They're Christ's own specification of what every Christian ought to be. To truly understand poor in spirit, that humble dependence on God, understanding spiritual bankruptcy and the, before God and that dependent humility that you get from him. To, learning to live with the fact of where we're at. Just learning to accept that. We're no longer trying to get better each day. I want to be different. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to have a sense of humility before God that I realize he's all sufficient and I have nothing that I can offer. I need that characteristic in me. And then we talk about those who mourn. Ah, do you hear much about sin anymore in church? Mm -mm. Not much, do we? No. You know, it's like, where did Billy Graham go when we need him most? Mm -hmm. But those who mourn, they mourn for their sin. They actually, you know, confessing is one thing, contrition is another, but being truly sorrowful and understanding the depth and the pain and the horrendness of sin, it, it, it infuses you in a different way when you, it, you just realize. And sometimes it takes a long time to realize that because we're still trying to kind of put on a mask or put, get out the furniture polishes. That old table's not so bad after all. Right. Now it's really having a depth of understanding that because it's only then when you have this poor, this poorness in spirit and reward that we can understand grace. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it so amazing is when we come to that realization. And then we think about the meek, you know, gentle, humble, considerate um, versus the proud and the arrogant. But meek in spirit means not a pushover, but you know how to stand firm, but you don't take the bait, meaning expressing anger and vengeance and wrath but you stand firm in your weakness. You stand firm for the truth. And oftentimes that's difficult to do. It's oftentimes to stand firm because, you know, one thing that I've heard uh, many pastors say is, you know, when you're going in the right direction, when you know you're headed in your calling and you're headed in the right direction, you're going to face more opposition than ever. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there's people that we've seen, you know, they just cave in. They cave in and then they do things that they don't really truly believe in, but they do it because that's what the opposition is telling them. Yeah. I look at some of the Facebook posts. Um, I'm in an elected office in my, in, in, in my town for about seven years, going on eight years now. <clears throat> and I look at the Facebook post. <laughs> and I mean, humble, really? Born? <laughs> yeah. Need? I mean, human nature is what you want to fight back. Right, yeah. You want to prove yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just tearing you apart. Yeah. And, and in my head, I'm saying you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to a point, there's, there, there's some of that there. There's some truth there. I got some work to do. 
And I, I take all that negativity, and it, it generally coming from the group that we call lost. Mm -hmm. They're really trying to destroy it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going after your faith, your hypocrite, mm -hmm. and they're great at proof texting, you know, throwing a verse at you, thinking mm -hmm. that's a dagger or something. But, um, but, I, but over the years, I'm learning more and more what it means to be humble and meek. And I'm learning our own sin because of the impact that it has, not just on ourselves, but also on others. Mm -hmm. And to resist that. Uh, but you're driven though. at the same time. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says. Yeah, you, you, you want to have the three aspects of that. You have the legal aspect. Okay, we are in the right relationship with God. You got the moral. That's the righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God. That's what we have to work on daily. But, but it's the desire. They hunger and thirst for it. They don't say they have it because it comes from God. But they desire it above all else. So when I say... It's all about our behavior, because our behavior reveals what we really believe. If I know my righteousness is filthy, I don't need to justify anything. It's coming from God. But I need, in his eyes, to be striving for that. A workman approved, never ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And that merciful compassion for people. Wow. It's so easy to hate. So easy to pile on. Then the pure in heart. That's an inward quality to where that sin that we all have no longer has a hold on you, no longer has that power. You, you, don't, you don't even get, how could I be thinking like that when I was 20 now that I'm 50 or, or I'm in a different point? I, I can't even imagine that I used to think that way, right? And, and no, that, that's evidence that you're taking on these characteristics, these describes the attitudes. And of course, the peacemakers, be able to reconcile with others, unity with purity, not just getting along to get along, not to be, uh, I hate these people that, not hate, excuse me, uh, I get frustrated by people who want to be known as collaborators. Mm. They'll give up give up all truth in order to collaborate. Collaborate on what? Mm -hmm. And they get the idea of tolerance, confusing it with um, consent, mm. acceptance. Tolerance means I understand where the person is coming from. And their goal high as well. It doesn't mean I accept. But I'm, I, I allow. I don't consent. Mm. I allow. Because I'm more focused on the relationship. Yeah. I'm trying to bring them in. And then, and then lastly, those are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And uh, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I gotta make sure I'm not being persecuted because I'm mean, <laughs> demonstrated some really poor behavioral choices. Mm -hmm. Versus, uh, I'm standing firm. I'm not taking the bait. Um, and then there's people that uh, aren't real happy with that. Let me just leave it with this. When we talk about fruit of the spirit in Galatians, people say, "I want to be more peaceful." You need to be before you can demonstrate. So the Beatitudes that we just went through, they're the characteristics, they're the tree that produces the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Trying to instill a behavior without the character, without the integrity of that character, it's forced and won't be consistent. But when you take on that transformation, you bring in those characteristics into your life and that becomes who you are, the fruit is just a natural byproduct.
Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the perception about spirituality and faith and um, having a relationship with Christ is that you have to change first before accepting faith. And that's not the case because faith, it will change you over time. You come as you are and then you become transformed. Over time. Over time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating that it seems to take so long for us to get it. I just just learned this last week, uh, just this last last weekend, Mm -hmm. that Something triggered me because of some broken trust, mm-hmm. and I could just feel the rage and the frustration and all that. And I was so I was disturbed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the issue was wrong, but how much more does God feel mm-hmm. betrayed, not trusted, and and, and that trust violated? Um, it's just a reminder of of a path that we're on. So I bring it right back to myself. How did I handle that situation? Yeah. Parts of it were good. Yeah. And, and I fell in a couple areas where I had to offer apologies mm-hmm. um, and really process it because, you, you know, we're still on that path of being transformed. So I think just, there's probably three lessons to learn when we talk about this. And I use the salty as an example of what's wrong, not what's wrong with the world, but really kind of what's wrong with us and how can we become more obedient by recognizing people we're working with, but I think it's important uh, uh, um, versus fundamental difference. There's, let me re- restart that. On lesson learned number one, there's a fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians. There's a fundamental difference between the church and the world. Mm. And we need to understand our audience in each situation. But fundamental difference, and, and we need to understand that. One is of the world and one is of the kingdom. And it's just it's just a path that people are in life in their lives and we're called to go about and make disciples. We need to bring people in and leading working with them and them with us uh, on that path. And we need to accept this responsibility uh, that, that this distinction puts upon us. Be what you are. He says your soul. And he says, you're right. Be what you are. And then lastly, um, we need to remember that that truth and light is to arrest decay and to bring truth into the world for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. It's not to prove a point to ourselves. It's not to uh, enlarge our own sphere of influence or impact. Uh, we're to be salt and light because we have a function to perform. That says, you know, seeking his righteousness, arrest decay, and bring the truth into the world. And if we're not doing that, one has to ask, so what am I doing here? Mm. What am I doing with this day that was given to me as a gift? Mm. This gift of life for this day. What am I doing with this day? And I'm not about going about making disciples. I'm not about applying salt correctly and bringing light into the world. What purpose am I living? For my own, most likely, or for God. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my challenge each and every morning when I get up. Yeah. So thank you for the time today. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Don. I really enjoyed like this. This conversation is so much needed in this. I hate to say it, but salty world <laughs> that we kind of live in. But uh, I mean. 
yeah, just having a conversation like this and the, the talk that you you have done and why is so salty. I think it's it's uh it's very awesome the way you package this. So thank you. Oh good, well thank you. Thank you. You're a good friend. Appreciate being able to spend time with you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Don Overcash and was able to learn from his insights on salt and light. And he's cut, brought it through um, a lens of his experience in a diverse areas such as politics, business, and also now he's focusing on in the nonprofit space. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, feel free to give a rating and uh, provide a review on whichever platform that you're listening on. And also, if you have not yet purchased my first book that came out earlier this year, Navigation and Discovery, A Path to Navigating and Discovering Through Your Journey of Faith. Um, Feel free to go get your copy at CameronSingBook.com. Again, CameronSingBook.com, and you can find more information to the link at the uh, podcast description on whichever platform you are listening on. And so CameronSingBook.com, and also if you want to find out more about me, CameronSing.com is my official website, and that's why you can connect with me on social media and engage, and um, thank you so much for tuning in. And also subscribe to the podcast on the platform you love to listen on so that you receive the notification once the next episode goes live. So thank you again for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.